Matthew Kachuk is a piece of shit. If you cheer for him, you're a piece of shit. And fuck you. <laughs>
But my God, Chris just told you they're only three points out of first place in the Pacific Division, a division that nobody seems to want to win right now. It's up for grabs. Edmonton's right there. Calgary's right there. Vegas is right there. San Jose is maybe right there. Arizona's right there. But here's where I have the problem. Now, I know my partner, and more specifically my friend Chris, was very excited before the Vegas Golden Knights made Kelly McCrimmon the general manager of the Vegas team. We were, Chris was hoping that McCrimmon would be looked at as a possible general manager in Edmonton before, obviously, Ken Holland was hired. And Ken Holland is <laughs> pretty damn good backup plan, so I have no issue with that. But Chris being the knowledgeable sports guy that he is. And he's right. Kelly McCrimmon is a proven hockey guy. He could have done a good job in Edmonton. I have a question. I'm questioning his ability right now in regard to making this move with Gerard Gallant. General Manager Kelly McCrimmon supposedly had the call on this one. And I just wonder, does he get this call because he was the head coach for 15 years of the Western Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings? Does that make him authorized to make this call on his head coach at the National Hockey League level that, again, not to remind you, that won 51 games with an expansion team two years ago? I think Gerard Gallant is a hell of a hockey coach, and I think that Gerard Gallant is going to have a plethora of opportunities somewhere else. If I'm Ron Francis in Seattle, who better to call than Gerard Gallant? Whenever Seattle starts going, who better to call than Gerard Gallant to be the coach of an expansion hockey team? Or here's a connectivity that maybe some of you didn't think about, and I did. Ha ha, me, me. What about when obviously Jeff Blazehill, I think his name is, the coach in Detroit gets canned? Natural connectivity there for Gerard Gallant to go to Detroit because of his connectivity with general manager Steve Eiserman. There are going to be opportunities for Gerard Gallant. It's just the way that he got dumped unceremoniously in Vegas that really pisses me off. If you have a team that is 20 games out of a playoff position or 20 points out of a playoff position at this point of the season, then you're justified maybe making a change to change the culture in the room and a lot of different things but three points out of first place in your division and you make a change of this magnitude, Kelly McCrimmon, I think your ass is up against the fire right now, my friend. Yeah, this isn't the most inexplicable decision I've seen in a long time. I am really glad that we didn't try to, in the end, as the Oilers, hire away Peter Chiarelli. Oh, I mean Kelly McCrimmon (laughs) from the night. Good one. Holy man, this guy was talked up so much like he was just the, the next Bill Belichick and... Man, he is not that smart because there is so much wrong with this. I don't even know where to start. Uh, Gerard Gallant, you went over it. I mean, what a what a guy. Seems like a character guy, great temperament, amazing result. Redefined what expansion clubs can do on earth in all sports. And now, yeah, like you said, right before you said it, I was thinking about it too. If I'm Ron Francis... Because Ron Francis has said that they're not in a rush to hire a coach. They'll wait till next year. But if they find the perfect person, they'll move. If I'm Ron Francis, not only a great coach, but a guy who just dealt with expansion and a first-year thing, I would literally hire Gerard Gallant today, and I would pay him the whole time. And, you know, as they start to acquire, oh, the first person ever to be part of the Seattle franchise. Yeah, 
ah, Gerard's not doing anything. Go have lunch with this kid. Like, let's let's get you there right there. Let's commit to this guy for the long term. He's proven everything he has to prove. Was a great even-tempered defenseman for the uh, uh, for the Detroit Red Wings as well as a player. I mean, he's always just been a solid guy. And I just, I really like Gerard Gallant a lot. And this was just a catastrophic decision. And then not only that, that alone, just firing him was bad enough. But to bring in Pete DeBoer, something about just looking at the guy, I've always thought just wimpy loser yeah. Like when I look at him. I'm oh. just, which, I mean, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but fuck you, I'm going to, I, I, I like to judge books by their covers anyway. And I just don't see him as a winner. And not only that, Gerard Gallant, after, you know, one of their meetings, because San Jose seems to be their arch rival right. in Vegas, yeah, yeah. right? You know, called him a clown. Right. And he's a clown. And now to you take that guy, you take the cast off of, you know, your arch rival that just beat you in that complete farce of a game where you should have gone to the Stanley Cup final. And you take that guy and you like immediately, like they had it all ready to go as soon as McCrimmon is fired. I mean, as soon as uh, Gallant is fired. Right, right. None of it makes any sense. I don't get it. They said it was entirely performance-based because everyone says, oh, well, something must have happened. You know, Galan must have gotten caught with farm animals or driving drunk or, you know, hitting women or something. No, they just said it's entirely performance-based. So unless they're lying about that, then this was just an inexplicable decision. This was, you know, he had lost four games in a row, but he was still only three points out of first place in the division. I appreciate that you want to be a big powerhouse franchise. And frankly, you've been nothing but a powerhouse franchise <laughs> from day one in the league in your existence. That's great. But at the same time, don't lose sight of everything. Because, you know, when you start taking things for granted, hey, you don't have much history. You don't have the greatest pipeline or anything. You're sort of on a house of cards in the end. You know, what happens when Flurry leaves? He's getting old. House of cards in Vegas. That was good, man. You like that? Thank you. I like yeah. that. I picked yeah. that up. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, Hey, what do you, what are you going to do? Uh, when people start to lose their gratitude, that's the end of the road for them. That's the beginning of the end. I don't like this new change in direction. There was nothing to dislike about the Vegas Golden Knights until this decision. And it was just a catastrophic one on all levels. Kelly McCrimmon could not have done a worse job. As far as I'm concerned, any prestige, any stock, any respect in the league he has should be gone purely for performance-based reasons because he sucked here. You know, it's funny, Gallant was named the coach of the Western Conference for the National Hockey League All-Star team. Yeah, 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 there you go. And there you go. And he had to be replaced by and Rick got re- Tockett. Yeah, Rick Tockett yeah. Is, has been tabbed as, re- as his replacement. So um, I've lost a lot of respect for the Vegas Golden Knights franchise, their ownership group, their management group. This did not have to happen, folks. It did not have to happen. And, you know, you got to sit here and think, if you're a coach of one of the 31 existing right now, I'm not including Seattle yet, there's 31 uh, f- functioning NFL, uh, NHL hockey teams right now. If you see this, and uh, mm-hmm. you got to wonder about your sustainability. If you're going to fire a coach of, of Gerard Gallant's cachet, and you're only three points out of first place in your division, what if you're, you know, um, I don't know, what if you're... Uh, Who's underperforming right now? I mean, I love Paul Maurice in Winnipeg, but, you know, is Paul Maurice in trouble? Um, because they have underperformed. And a lot of that has to do with they don't have the personnel that they have had the last couple of years in Winnipeg. Well, if you remember us uh, on Unscripted a long time ago, we talked about how if the Vegas Golden Knights do well, 
uh, then it's going to cause a lot of problems in other markets because people will say, well, hey, they went to the Stanley Cup final in their first yeah. year. Yeah. How, why, do, why do we have to rebuild for seven years in our right. market and, and suck all this time? And it's going to lead to more firings. And we were right. We, yep. we have seen so many firings. The littlest thing happens and, and a coach is gone because owners are going to be like, hey, they were good right away. Well, what we didn't see coming and could not have seen coming because it makes no logical sense is then that team that started it all fires their coach for no reason because he had one four-game losing streak. Right. You literally had a sea change here and caused all this market disruption and all these guys to lose their jobs and they probably didn't deserve it in a lot of cases. And at the very least, their firings were way too premature. But then you go and fire your coach over nothing? Unbelievable, inexplicable, illogical, disgusting, and I just have lost all of my enthusiasm for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, no question. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't know what publication I was reading recently, but it said that John Cooper, if if the Tampa Bay Lightning can't get their stuff together, that this guy was making the opinion. These are hockey writers yeah, in yeah, the States. They had, They're yeah. hockey writers in the States. They don't know shit from Shinola. But anyway, this, and I wish I could remember this guy's name, but I, I do remember reading it in the hockey news that he believed that if the Tampa Bay Lightning, after last year's improbable 134 points and 62 wins or whatever it was, astronomical numbers, that if John Cooper didn't get his stuff together, that the Tampa Bay Lightning should make a change. Well, I got some news for this writer. John Cooper's gotten his stuff together. Their last 16 games of Tampa Bay Lightning are 13-3. and Watch out. They're getting their mojo back. Oh, I know. Yeah. They're really playing well again. Mm-hmm. And uh, they look like the team that won 62 games last year. They're starting to look like that team again. And I'm very happy for Coach Cooper because, I mean, obviously, again, if you're going to fire a guy like Gallant for what he didn't do in Las Vegas, I can't believe what the ownership group might be thinking down in Tampa Bay after what the kind of season they had last year. Sure, there was some there was some hangover, no question, in Tampa Bay's early play. But folks, 13 and 3 in their last 16 games, they're going to be just fine. Yeah, but imagine if Kelly McCrimmon had been in charge of Tampa earlier in the year. He oh, might have fired John Cooper no question. and nobody with any knowledge of anything would think that John Cooper is any sort of problem in Tampa Bay. That's just stupid. So, hey, I mean, he could have cost them. If I'm a coach and I'm interviewing for jobs, yeah, I want to get hired by an NHL team, but I honestly would never, ever coach for a team run by Kelly McCrimmon ever again because there's yeah. no point. Why uproot your family and move there when you know it just how what, what could happen so easily? It would be like... It would be about as appealing as being a goalie playing for Mike Keenan, Captain Hook. Nice. Or uh, a rookie playing for Bobby Knight. Boy, those sound like fun, don't they? Boy, that sounds like a nice time. How about no? How about fuck off? Don't even try to get me to come to your stupid organization that's run by a guy who's doing it just on a whim, fire me for no reason. I'm not coming there. I'm not uprooting my life and moving my wife and moving my kids out of school all for that shit. Fuck off. That's pathetic. And it's just disgusting that the Vegas Golden Knights have been such an amazing franchise, have made so many great decisions, and then they fuck up a gimme. 
which not even a gimme. It's worse than a gimme. It's it's a decision that never even had to be made at all. It's a situation that shouldn't even have arisen or existed on Earth whatsoever. It's pathetic, and I have no explanation. And if it doesn't come out that Gallant did something really, really bad that they're just trying to cover up, I mean, yeah, tiny chance Kelly McCrimmon's a hero who is just trying to cover up right. what this guy did and, and has to just kind of take the brunt of it. But man, especially with Peter DeBoer, though, even if that was the case, hiring Peter DeBoer is still inexcusable. So you know what? Fuck Melly, Kelly McCrimmon either way. It'd be kind of like what I feel Kevin Stefanski's getting involved with, with the Cleveland Browns in regard to sure. why would you want to go coach in Vegas as why would you want to coach the Cleveland sure. Browns sure. with truck stop Jimmy and his lead waitress, D. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um you know, it's funny. I have actually gotten a little winded here today. Really? I, I feel a little lightheaded right now just because it's just been so much shit going on <laughs> in the wonderful and wacky world of sports that my heart can't take this stuff. I have gotten a little, actually a little winded today. As we welcome you to this 449th episode of Unscripted, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. On a little bit lighter note from the National Hockey League, um, I want your thoughts as it was announced it's been announced since we were together last, so I don't know what day it was, but I just wanted your thoughts on it with the news that there is going to be a component of a women's three-on-three game at the NHL All-Star game. Um, I just want your thoughts on this, but from my point of view, real quick, because of the physicality of it, and you can agree or disagree with me, I, that's fine. That's the beauty of Unscripted. That's the beauty of podcasts. It's the beauty of of. Uh, sports talk radio shows, but I think this is as close as it should come to me in regard to women competing on NHL ice surfaces. Yeah, it's just women competing against each other, right? As long as the women are competing against each other, I, I God bless them. Yeah, sure. Have a great time. Go out there and show your stuff. Yeah. But I don't want three women out there against, uh, you know, my favorite whipping boy from the Calgary Flames and... Uh, that guy that beat the shit out of Kachuk last week from Edmonton. Yeah, guessing, yeah. Love him. Yeah. And uh, I don't want those three guys to be opposing the three women. As long as it's three girls against three girls, I'm fine with that. And I will watch it because I think technically women are good hockey players. I just don't want them to get beat up playing against men from the National Hockey League level. Well, yeah, because that's what we've seen this week. If there's one lesson from this week... Uh, it's that there are a lot of guys who play pro sports who just have no ethics, no conscience, or anything whatsoever. No sense of code, nothing. No, right. in, no integrity. No, no, right. in, no integrity, nothing. I was at the game where uh, Zach Cassian kicked the shit out of Matthew uh, Chuck. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I was there. It was, it was, it was, it was great. But then you know what? You know, and we didn't talk about this. And speaking of blood pressure, I've been trying not to talk about this piece of shit because I mean Matthew Kachuk's about the worst. Oh, uh, guy he's, in he's, he's, he's a gnat that needs to be killed. Here's, here's, here's the biggest problem I'm running to. And, and not to skip out on the women there, but I think the three-on-three is great, and I love getting to showcase them. And, you know, I grew up with some great women hockey players. And uh, you know what? It's, uh, they're fantastic, and I love that they're getting the choice, you know, the chance to showcase their skills. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. That, I think that's great. But, you know, there are guys, like, I, don't, I, I believe if you had Matthew Kachuk playing against women, I believe he would take a run at them. I believe he'd cheap shot them. I believe he'd try to fight them because he's just a cowardly, stupid piece of shit. And my bigger problem, I think, here, if anything, is fans defending this. And I always try so hard to 
give an honest sort of unbiased third party opinion. Like if I'm talking about the Oilers, yes, I, I like the Oilers and I want them to win. But if they do something terrible, I will bash them. Mm-hmm. If Matthew Kachuk or some other piece of shit like Sean Avery or Brad Marchand was playing for the Oilers, I wouldn't like them automatically. I would say that they suck. And I and if they did something shitty like run guys repeatedly and then turtle when they fight back and then you know get think you're so smart for making the other guy take a penalty no 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 that's wrong and whenever you say to Flames fans oh Matthew Kachuk's a piece of shit they say oh well you'd take him on your team no I fucking wouldn't because I'm not a stupid hypocrite like you don't you ever fucking say that shit to me Matthew Kachuk is a worthless piece of shit I could kick his ass myself I fucking will bet my life on it first of all secondly Zach Cassian could definitely kick his ass and (laughs) did by the way and this is not going to end well I know that Matthew Kachuk and all the Flames fans right now, they think that, oh, so every single game from now on, Matthew Kachuk will find some guy with a temper, he'll antagonize him, he'll charge him, which is a penalty, by the way, he'll knock off his helmet, he'll piss him off and antagonize him, then the guy will fight back, and then Matthew Kachuk will turtle, and the other guy will get a penalty, and then the Flames will score power play goals, and then win the cup every year, and then Matthew Kachuk will go to the Hall of Fame. No! That's not what's going to fucking happen. People get sick of his shit. The refs will stop just calling penalties on the other guy reflexively. Guys don't want to play with him at the All-Star game, like Leon Dreisaitl, who said he'll step off the ice if Kachuk's on his line at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Who wants to play with this piece of shit? At some point, even his team won't want to defend him anymore. He'll become a pariah like Sean Avery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brad Marchand is so good that he can get away with it, and he seems to have toned it down a little bit. But he's so talented that he actually, you know, when you're one of the top scorers in the league, you get a little bit of a lead way but the Matthew Kachuk thing is not going to last forever somebody is going to and if the league doesn't deal with it and they might not uh I don't like what they've done so far but if somebody was going to deal with it Matt George Peros who was a goon and is part of Mensa should actually be the one guy to figure it out but I don't know if you know this because you actually have a job during the week but um (laughs) um the league has stepped in I know they did. The they league talked to has, Holland and right, for the living. League, all I know, from what I know, and yeah. you probably know more than I do, but what I what I am to understand, that guy you had mentioned, Peros, is it? George Peros, yeah. He has made contact with representatives of both Edmonton and Calgary in advance of the January 29th rematch uh, at Rogers Place up in Edmonton, and Peros will be in attendance at this game. They've warned both teams to slow their little groove down here. And I don't think personally that it's Edmonton's, they have to change anything. That's right. I think it's got to be Calgary needs to cool their shit down a well, little it's bit. Well, it's one guy. It's Kachuk just running, running around there, you know, taking shots. And because he's not, he's not getting penalized. The problem is the refs in the league, really. Right. I mean, great, so Paris is going to be there like a, some sort of UN peacekeeper or something else that doesn't work and do shit. But there's one problem. It's the guy running around and yeah. not getting consequences. Yeah. It's the same as a, it's a child acting out is what it is, right? He, he takes repeated runs at the guy. And then people are like, oh, well, technically, I think it was a clean... It doesn't fucking matter if it's a clean hit or not. That's not the issue. If it's a dirty hit, that makes it worse, for sure. And at least one of those was dirty. I don't give a shit with anyone's sets. But anyway, even if they're all clean, it doesn't matter. He's charging. He's targeting. He knocked the helmet off twice, so you can say he didn't go for the head. You're an idiot. But anyway... Even if it's clean, it doesn't fucking matter. He was clearly repeatedly taking runs at the same guy, a guy he chose because he has a temper, because he thinks the refs will then give the other guy a penalty if he fights back, and he's just going to turtle. Like, I've never seen this in my entire life. 
In my entire life, I've never seen a guy turtle once that I can really remember, unless it was something like a, a, just an innocent victim and a guy skated up to him. But to like, to, you know, antagonize and keep poking the bear, and then you literally just cover up like a little pussy and get thrown around and just, like the one time when he was against Calgary, when Lucic and Cassian were both playing for the Oilers and went up to him, and he literally laid on the ice in the fetal position, and they stood there like, what is this? Yeah. It's an embarrassment to I the game. That. It's yeah. an embarrassment to the game completely. And I know Flames fans think this is so funny. Oh, look at the Oilers fan, Chris. He's getting all upset. <laughs> That's You're missing the fucking big picture, you idiots. You're all fucking idiots if you don't get this. I try so hard to always look at it as a third-party point of view. And just because the Oilers are winning, if they're doing something stupid to get there, I'm not enjoying it. If some piece of shit plays for the Oilers, I don't enjoy it and I don't root for them and I want them gone. And you should take that attitude too because what you're doing is really short-sighted. Matthew Kachuk is a piece of shit. If you cheer for him, you're a piece of shit. And fuck you. And everything that's wrong with the game can be boiled down to guys like Matthew Kachuk and Sean Avery and Brad Marchand. And they need to fucking smarten up. And Peros needs to do a better job here because all he's going to do is sit there and stare at them. That's not enough. It's not enough. And the refs need to smarten up too. They should have given a charging penalty or they should have given offsetting penalties. And, the, and also, not only to give a penalty, but to give a double minor was yeah. unbelievable too. That was incredibly stupid because the refs for the rest of the game had their whistles in their pocket. Then they give a double minor for that. Fuck off. You guys are not looking long-term. The game doesn't police itself anymore because of all the changes that have been made. So if you're going to let the game not police itself, you better fucking police it right. And the fact that you're not Peros, who legitimately is part of Mensa, I'm not right. joking. I know you are. Right? Yeah. And was a goon. Yeah. You should ha he should be the perfect guy for this job. Peros, I'm watching you. Fucking be better. Um, <clears throat> on a programming note here in future episodes of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, we are going to install a defibrillator here in our studios <laughs> because <laughs> I know I need it. And after that, my partner's going to need one too. Um, let's get on to some other topics as uh, we continue on in here in episode number 448 of Unscripted. Obviously, um, before this episode gets posted, this activity will have been completed, but it's obviously still worthwhile to talk about. I always want to learn more, um, but the news for Saturday night anyway this uh, January 18th, Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone at UFC 246 later this evening uh, from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Looking forward to hearing about what happens there, but the news that really got me this week in regard to my favorite UFC fighter was that Mr. McGregor made big headlines by saying that he wants to fight Floyd Mayweather again in the boxing ring. I don't think there's a chance that happens. Do you? Well, there would be a chance it happens because Dana White and Floyd Mayweather are now, are now yeah. in bed together. I get it, yeah. And so it's possible. But the, for me, it's already been done. Right. I, you know, I don't I'm, know what you can improve upon from the first time. I, and I don't know that... I, I guess anything those two do get buys. So against each other, it should be good. But and I guess it would be okay. I don't think it would do as many buys as the first one. I just don't believe that. I don't see how it could. But I don't care about that. I just, I mean, I was interested in the first one. I'm interested in both guys. Right. I, but I, go uh, back to your own separate field and do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. If you remember, whenever that was, a year or two ago, there was a story that broke that July said, oh, of 18. 
Oh, well, no, what story I was talking about is oh. the one where they said that their headlines all of a sudden came out. And we talked about it on Unscripted, which was where they said, oh, Floyd Mayweather is looking at going into oh, right. UFC. Right, right, right. And right, you right. asked me about that. Yeah. And I emphatically said, even though everyone was saying this is a done deal, I emphatically said, Floyd Mayweather will not ever fight in mixed martial arts. You can't at 40 years old where your hands are your one good thing and they're basically wrecked. You can't then all of a sudden learn the whole ground game. Floyd Mayweather is the richest guy ever. He's not going to go and like dedicate himself 12 hours a day to learning jujitsu and right. judo. Like it's not happening. Get, and wrestling. Get serious. It's not happening. And I said that he will never fight there and he won't. I guess he's doing something with boxing. Says he's going to fight again in 2020. But the whole... I mean, the first one was an obvious publicity stunt. This one would just be it's just a cash grab at this point. And that's all it is. And obviously, both guys want to make as big a payday as they can. So I understand why those two guys will not fight again. But I just wouldn't give a shit this time. If you were betting, and I don't know if you have, but if you're betting McGregor, Cerrone, who are you picking? Uh, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I, I don't know. Really? It's so hard. This is one of the hardest bets you could have because I generally like to fade the public. And the public, obviously, is all, all over McGregor. Sure. Now, McGregor is a unique case in that he's not just a guy who can talk and be controversial. Like, you know, traditionally, especially in somewhere like professional wrestling, you had guys that were great in the ring, but they couldn't talk. And you had the guys like, let's say, Jesse Ventura, mm -hmm. uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, guys like that who could, you know, who could talk on the mic all day, but they weren't that great once you got them in the ring. There's guys like Ric Flair who could do both, sure. but that was, you know, or, or Macho Man was good at both. And there's guys like that, but that's, that's more of a unicorn thing. That's tougher to find. McGregor is legitimately, even if you take away all the showmanship and the talk and everything, he's one of the best fighters in the world. Now, he hasn't fought since October of 18, right? So, I mean, he's off there and the public's all over him. So I would typically go the other way and bet on Cerrone. The only thing holding me back from Cerrone besides the fact that, you know, he's so banged up all the time and he fights so much, is he has not looked impressive to me in a long time. He hasn't looked like the old Cerrone for me lately. If he had looked like he had a few years ago, I'd probably be all over Cerrone. But just because I haven't believed in him lately, I can't do it. But I don't know. This whole McGregor thing, he is so hard to predict how he'll be. If he's at his best, yeah, I'll kill him. Sure. But, but also, he's, he's going up. He usually fights at 145 or 155, Correct. and now he's fighting at 170. Correct. He, he's, I mean, last time he fought at 170, he fought Nate Diaz. Um, and Nate Diaz is a natural 170, but he's a very skinny-looking guy. Like, he's a vegan and all that, and he just looks skinny. And McGregor, who usually has incredible punching power, would punch him, and it doesn't seem to right. have that same effect it has on the smaller guys. And Cerrone looks way more solid than... Nate Diaz, honestly. That's nothing against Diaz. It's just how they're built, their frames. Right, right. And Cerrone looks like a much bigger dude than than uh, Conor McGregor. So I am not feeling anything in this. I'm not super confident in McGregor, though. So if either guy wins cleanly, it'll be very telling. But I, I honestly don't even feel confident offering a pick, and I've thought about this a lot. But I, I don't know. The, the, the difference is that Cerrone is always fighting as much as he can. Nobody fights more often than Cerrone, and nobody seems to fight less often than uh, McGregor. So I'll just do the old Don Cherry thing. You know, you want to watch out for the guys that'll bat that are battle tough over the guys that are rested. So uh, I would not be surprised at all if Cerrone pulls the upset. He just hasn't looked that great lately as far as I'm concerned. Before we get out of here on this uh, 449th episode of Unscripted, a couple of real quick notes 
And I wanted to make mention of this one because um, we both have uh, a great respect for Arizona State head football coach Herman Edwards, who was given a contract extension this week through 2024. Uh, Coach Edwards has gotten Arizona State in his two years down there. He's gotten them to two bowls. They've won both bowls. And Arizona State, for the first time since probably ever, Arizona State has a top 15 recruiting class coming in for next year, and that is all because of Herman Edwards. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Uh, Herman Edwards is a respected coach. I mean, you've got an unbelievable amount of talent there in the greater Phoenix area. And instead of these kids going to California schools or Big Ten schools or whatever, Herm Edwards seems to be keeping them in the Phoenix area, which is obviously instrumental in Arizona winning uh, bowl games the last two years. So I'm very happy to uh, relay the news that Arizona State has done the right thing and given Herman Edwards a contract extension through 2024. And also on the college football beat, we, we would be remiss if we did not send our congratula- congratulations to the LSU Tigers and head coach Ed Orgeron for winning the national championship Monday night in New Orleans. But here's the thing. A lot of people right now are thinking that LSU may have just had the greatest one-year season in the 150 years that they've documented play of college football. And the reason that they're saying that is because LSU, during the course of the 15 games they played this year, did you know that LSU beat seven teams that when they played them and beat them were in the top 10? They had an unbelievable, well, they're playing the SEC West. So they get Alabama and they get Texas A&M and they get, you know, and they get, they get everybody every year. But to beat seven teams that when they played them and defeated them, they were in the top 10 of the Associated Press UPI poll. So that's unbelievable. But think about this in regard to how tough it's going to be to repeat in Baton Rouge next season. When you think about Heisman Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Joe Burrow is going to the draft. Most people expect him to be the number one pick in April's draft of the Cincinnati Bengals. And remember, he's originally from the state of Ohio. Seven underclassmen that played a role in this magical season for the Tigers have already declared for the April NFL draft. Offensive coordinator Joe Brady is taking the money and running to Carolina to be the Panthers' offensive coordinator under new coach Matt Rule. And defensive coordinator Dave Aranda accepted the job on Friday as head coach at Baylor University, replacing Matt Rule, who went to Carolina for potentially $70 million over the next seven years. So as much as I am happy for Coach O that he finally won a national championship after getting screwed by the USC Trojans, I also want to wish Coach uh, Coach O some good luck in 2020 to replace all of that talent, both on the field and on the coaching staff, going to be very difficult to do for the LSU Tigers in 2020. There's no question about it. Yeah, what a great season, though. I mean, I, I know the fans got their money's worth. They never really looked in danger in any meaningful games too much, and they just really crushed it. I am very curious to see how Joe Burrow does for the Cincinnati Bengals because they're drafting him, first of all. And he really looks like the real deal. Like, he really does. And I know we've seen it so many times. Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf and all these guys. 
and the Tim Coach, and they all David look like Carr. yeah, they all look like the greatest thing ever. In fairness to David Carr, I know, I know. his failure was less on no, him I, than those I other ones. But understood. I, but, but yet, yeah, a lot of people are cynics out there that don't know what you and I know, and they they just see the failure. Yeah, of course. And there's there's been so many that don't work out. And I mean, in fairness, it's not like Cincinnati has a good O line. They have about the worst one out there right now. So there's a lot of changes I hope they make to try and help the kid out. Uh, but geez, I, I'll be really interested because he just looked, I was trying to look for cracks there and look for like, oh, where he's not really that good. He's just a product of a good system or something. And he really did a lot of good stuff, even on his own, making stuff work, combining scrambling with long bombs that just he'll lead receivers or just find the perfect spot even before it develops. And seems like a smart kid, seems like a cool kid. I watched LSU go to the White House and meet there and, and meet Trump and everything. And uh, he's, he said, uh, Joe Burrow said to Trump, like, oh, we have something for you. And and then he goes and then Trump was like, oh, he, I thought he was going to give me his Heisman. He's just giving me a jersey. And then, <laughs> and, and then, and then Burrow gave him a jersey, it, you know, said 45, yeah. the 45th president and said yeah. Trump and everything. That was nice. And they all seemed to have a really good time there. And it was really cool. So amazing story for LSU and to, you know, take a backup quarterback transfer from the Ohio State. And That's to, the best part right yeah, there. And to do what they did. And uh, wow, just just a heck of a season. And uh, it'll never be forgotten. No matter what happens with Jiro, Joe Burrow, he'll never forget right. that. He'll never they'll never take that away from him, that perfect season out of nowhere. And uh, hey, I, I wish him all the best. And I, I hope he does well. But yeah, they need to give him something to work with in Cincinnati. I had a funny uh, entertainment news story, but I'm going to save that for Freeform Friday. I just think that's more apropos there. So we'll save that for Freeform Friday, and we'll put a wrap on this 449th episode of Unscripted. As always, we like to thank you for participating and certainly hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.